0: Hi, I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses
1: into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Our guest today is an accomplished operating executive with extensive experience successfully leading large-scale media organizations like the Tribune Company. He rose to the rank of chief executive officer of Tribune Publishing and was the publisher of the Chicago Tribune newspaper. During his tenure at Tribune, he led the company through some real challenges like bankruptcy, global recession. So they had to reinvent themselves, and he was the leader behind making that new Tribune business model. He serves on the board of Metropolitan Family Services and is a former board member of United Way of Metro Chicago. Today, he is the CEO of McClatchy. And McClatchy delivers content digitally through print, still photography, and video by journalists who work tirelessly to deliver meaningful and impactful stories. Please welcome today's guest, Tony Hunter. Hey, Tony, how you doing?
2: I'm well, Gary. Nice to be here. How are you?
1: I am fantastic. And, and Tony, like we always do on this program, we like to start at the beginning. So let's go back and, and talk a little about the young Tony Hunter, how you got started and how you got into the publishing and the newspaper world.
2: Well, I'll go way back and I promise I won't go through every year. We don't have enough time for that, as as you know. But I, I, I would start with my parents were from Georgia and my parents moved to Chicago after I was born. And that began my change in my trajectory of my life. My parents were, I didn't know it then, back when I was a kid, but what a big risk they took. And they moved to Chicago to raise their kids in an environment where they could find good jobs and and succeed. And so I I was in Chicago all my life. My parents worked in a glass factory to put me through college. And I start there because I think that's at the core of where I get my Sort of risk taking, my uh, agitating change, which we'll talk about later. But I, I learned early on that they positioned me to succeed, and so I went to college. I came out. I I did auditing for a little while, Gary. But then I was approached by the Chicago Tribune to join that organization, and I joined in a staff role, manager of planning and analysis. But right away, I just began to look at things and and see that man, they're there's some ripe opportunity for disruption in this industry if we don't make some changes. And I, I was part of an operating unit and I had the opportunity to join in an operating role and, and succeeded got more responsibilities. And I was the guy to clean up in aisle five. Every job I had at Chicago Tribune was let's, let's reimagine, let's recreate, let's drive change. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, because of my DNA and the way I think about things, and I like to be thinking what's on the horizon around the corner. I work for a great company, by the way. Oh, Tribune University, I call it. I, I learned how to be a great manager, and as I succeeded, I was given more opportunities. And the last thing I will say is, every job I I uh, took at Chicago Tribune, I had virtually zero experience in that discipline so so going about- into it
1: you had to learn the the functionality the operations the finance every every step of the way so in, and and I, I had a similar situation in 10 years of manufacturing proctor Gale and scott paper so i learned three really famous words that i think all leaders should learn at the right time in the right way and i want to know if you know these three words i don't know I don't know. You come, somebody walks into your yeah. office and they ask a question. You go, I don't know. How have you done it in the past? Right. So do you have any any stories where you shared oh, people expecting course. Tony to come in and like make these changes and everything? You're like, I don't know. <laughs>
2: yes. And I, I worked in an organization where the expectation, regardless of your level, was you knew all the details. That was yes. the, the environment. And so I would come to meetings and they would ask what I thought were low level data, info, uh, you know, totally useless in the conversation to and I would say things like, well, I don't know. And then I would ask, well, why is that important in this conversation? And that began that sort of that agitating notion of let's focus on what's important. and the facts, there are people in the organization that do that every day. And if I, as the leader and you and I chat about this before, if I'm in the weeds, I can't do my job. Right. Right. I need to stay above the details. So I don't know is, a, is one of the things. And what I learned early on is there are plenty of people that do know. And the idea, the real uh, secret about leadership is asking the right questions of the right people. Yes. And that's most of the answers are in your organization. So, yes, I'm a good good. I don't know. And I'm also good at uh, not getting knee deep in the details, because if I'm knee deep, I can't see the future.
1: Did you find in in a culture like that where they expected you to know and have the details? Sometimes they tried to pull you into the weeds and how to how to try to maintain that kind of strategic view and the visionary approach to change so that you don't lose the direction. Right. But there's always somebody that's trying to pull you into the weeds. How did you, how did you keep yourself from getting pulled into that cultural weed?
2: Well, I had two, two primary things come to mind. One, one I had a terrific mentor at the Chicago Tribune, just a terrific mentor. And he taught me a few things, but one thing he taught me was be able to answer the first two questions. And if you can, there's not a third and a fourth. Hmm. And so be able to answer the first couple and you don't get into the weeds. And when, and, Hmm. and second, second, if that, you know, if you have a boss that says he expects that, Then you have to have that boundary discussion, which I've had many times in my career, which is, hey, my man or my lady, uh, as long as I deliver results, you shouldn't really tell me how to do it. You should judge me on my outcomes, not on my tactics and not my knowledge of the data. And, of course, you might imagine that thing goes so well with a few people. But, oh, but I, I, think- I can tell
1: you a personal story on that one when I ended up getting fired as a vice president of sales and marketing for a systems integration company. And what the owner said to me was, well, you don't have all the details of what's going on around here. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I just grew your company. By 50% in two years after for four years before me, you were going, you went down 50%. I got you all your revenue back. So I guess I really know what the deal is here is because I got you back to even, you don't need me anymore. It's got nothing to do with the details. And, but still those perceptions are there where people expect a certain type of person within a certain culture. And when you're in there as an agitator trying to change that, you had to you had to face an awful lot of resistance with some of this stuff. And how did you balance that with not becoming the maverick that people wanted to lop your head off? You you got to the CEO level, which means that you you had to really be a pol- a little bit of a political animal and all that, right?
2: Well, I think I think you. Um, I, I went to get my MBA and. I had a CPA, an accounting business economics degree, I, and, and everybody said, go to finance. And the, the best decision I made was I went for leadership and org development. Oh, yeah. And at that moment, I had already got the urge that this is what I wanted to do when I grew up, so to speak. But as I read more and I learned more about leadership and organizational dynamics and building coalitions, and power and politics and organizations. Mm. I began to understand that if you're going to be the change agent, that yes, you've got to have your head on a swivel. You've got to build coalitions. You've got to collaborate with people. You have to align interests. Mm. And, And I learned that not through books. I learned that by failing, 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 failing. Why aren't my ideas resonating with people? And then I learned that all the work happens outside of the meetings. And so that's when I really began to be able to manage through uh, being a change agent and not being a maverick. And you're right. There's a fine line between those. And there are times I cross that of course. And I I think the other thing you do is you gotta, if you're going to agitate and drive change, you better be delivering results.
0: Yeah. And if you're not delivering the
2: results, they don't put up with with the agitation. If you're delivering yeah. results and you demonstrate you're somebody they can trust and somebody that has the company's best interests in mind, of course, then I believe they'll put up with a little bit more of the agitation. But but you yeah. can't just agitate, right? It's got to be towards a better future. It's got to have some not some just sizzle. It's got to have steak. You know, you, you got to be able to demonstrate you have real chops. You know what we don't talk about areas is I'm an operator. So, I mean, I'm, I, I don't, I mean, I'm in the business. I understand the business. And I think the key is to be able to look over the horizon and around the corner, that anticipatory skill and, and mindset I think is a, a real differentiator between a manager and a leader is that anticipating. I, and, and again, I'm not the best at it, but I had to hone that skill. And I believe that that's a skill I'm glad I spent time honing because it's benefited me going through, as you called it, a little bit of disruption in the last decade.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to go back to something and I I want to come back to this idea of failure. But you mentioned earlier about having a mentor or having mentors. What did those mentors mean to you? How did they, as the saying goes, how did they keep your ass out of the sling where you could have ended up getting thrown over the side of the boat, but they were able to to kind of guide you and help you and what did you learn from them and how did that help you in your development?
2: Well, I was blessed. I I've been blessed. I've always had someone inside the company that for whatever reason, not only saw potential, but really cared about me. Like it was, they wanted me to succeed. And then the third component was they were brutally honest. and mm-hmm. and so I had mentors from the beginning who would just say that is a dumb idea. Do not share that with anyone. (laughs) And and then I come back three weeks later and they now now that's a good idea. Or they'd say, What are you waiting on when I had a good idea? And then they would tell me how to sell it. And and so I I just I, I am so blessed that I had these folks in my in my life, in my career, because they they navigated me from going in the ditch. And they also told me, gave me that confidence to go forward. And then they also, again, were looking out for me inside the company and could whisper in my ear and say, hey, you know, you better back off a little bit on this topic because you've now crossed the line and, you know, just back off. Yeah. And and so I think somebody that you you trust that will be honest, and has your best interests in mind, if you come to that with an open mind and heart, these kind of folks can just share 10 years of experience. And the last thing I learned from my favorite mentor is he taught me how to boil everything down to risk reward. And mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a simplified way. I mean, how to boil the, an ocean down to you know, just a quick look, risk reward, and he would do it in the minute in a meeting. And I, I just was marveled at how he could take complexity and then say, well, why would you do that? The <laughs> far outside? And people would have just spent an hour explaining why it was a great idea and he could boil it down to that. And I use it to this day. I watched, I learned, I taught myself. And if I have one thing that I thank him for is the ability to really get it down to that kind of a simple method. But again, this is how you, as you know, Gary, over your lifetime, the people that will share their experiences and their wisdom saves you decades of the school of hard knocks. And so finding that right person, I liked inside the company. I liked inside the industry and a third, an expert outside the company. I like that triangle of surrounding yourself with that kind of a support system so that you can go to them for different things. I've always, I, I, th- I was taught that by a former boss. And uh, to this day, I try to do that.
1: Well, and, and you have to be able to, you know, it's a strange. I, I talk about this oxymoron of great leadership is having confident doubt. You have to be confident in yourself, but enough doubt so that you'll listen. And, you know, and have that humility to listen. And what you're talking about is from an early stage is to be able to hear the message know with this brutal honesty as uh they talk about in the book you know radical candor right it's just like right in your face but you started off by saying these were people that cared about me and that's the key is you knew that they cared so when they were brutal and you uh, look i'm going to guess that there were just a few times when they were brutally honest and you wouldn't listen to him. You would fight him. You would say, no, that's not the way it is. That's just not it. Right. Cause we were, we were young and we were egotistical and you're trying, you know, you think you're indestructible and then maybe you sleep on it. And a day or two later you go, uh, you know what? You're right, Tony. <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. And another boss who quickly figured that out about me said to me, Tony, when you hear something you don't like or agree with, You tend to disregard everything instead Mm. of finding the nuggets of truth and the nuggets of wisdom in the message you didn't like, which gets me to my favorite, which is if you want to be a great leader, act like an elephant. Have big ears and thick skin, because if you open your ears, you'll learn, you'll find the answers within your organization, and you're going to hear things you don't like. You don't like the idea, you don't like the feedback, uh, or you don't like the way it was delivered. And so building those, that thick skin and exercising those big ears that you have, to me is, is a attribute of greatness as a leader and that I learned by mistakes I made. You know, not listening, not wanting to hear things. And wow. uh, I learned that, I, you know, I had some brutal feedback in the 360 and I can remember Jim, Jim was sitting where he was sitting, what he wore that day. And it was 25, 30 years ago. I can remember him delivering my 360 feedback as a peer. And to this day, it was a turning point in my life, in my career, because I listened and I didn't say, oh, that's not me. So
1: but i'm also going to guess I'm also going to guess that that memory was so vivid because memories are locked in by emotion, so there had to be a very strong emotional response to the information that you were receiving at that moment and Dev- you devastating you were word. just devastated right probably yep. embarrassed
2: yep embarrassed devastated ashamed. Yes. Um. You know, how dare I have that impact on people? My intensity was coming across as anger. My uh, focus was as go away. I was in me. You know, this is brutal, right? Uh, the bubble above my head in a meeting would say, Gary, that was a dumb idea. Yeah. All these body languages, this EQ, all these things as a young leader. A director level, which is getting you ready, of course, to be an executive, and I was devastated.
1: Yeah, devastated. I can, I can remember in a, one of our leadership boot camps, uh, we do a, a, a mindset exercise. We had a high level v, VP in it. We were talking about some of this stuff in this exercise. When we were done, Tony, you would have been proud of him because this is, a, you know, it was construction is kind of a hard head. He he jumped out of his chair and with tears in his eyes. He said to, the, to this whole group, I have been treating people poorly. I realized at this moment that my mindset and the way I saw these people is was inaccurate. I am so ashamed of the way I've been behaving that I'm going to stand in front of all of you today and I'm going to tell you, I am going to change. I want to make a difference and this is not going to happen again. And it was, you know, almost almost brings tears to my eyes today just thinking about it because, When we have that realization, you have you have taken a huge step towards being more human as a leader.
2: That was inflection point number two in my career. I've had many, but that was if I had not listened, I would not have succeeded in my next opportunity. And I made change. But again, to your point, it was a visceral reaction and one that I immediately made changes. And frankly, it immediately changed everything. It was just a matter of someone had the courage and cared enough to, to be honest with me. And that was again, another opportunity to grow as a leader. And my
1: guess, my guess is, is just like this person I'm talking about and listening to you tell that story. My guess is that in that moment, once you get past the ego of it, and it hits your heart, you said to yourself, OMG, this is not the Tony I want to be. Yeah,
2: of course it's the opposite of what you wanted that you thought yeah. you were doing. You thought your intensity was demonstrating that you were folk, you know, you were intense about passionate,
1: right? Right, yeah.
2: right. But then you're not, then you're not on the other side of the camera, right? You're not on the other side watching and your, your body language and all of this. And that, that to me is this EQ that we talk about. And, and I think as you get up, get to a certain level, you need to start developing that. You realize IQ, most of the time, isn't just equal. Like there, you know, everybody's smart enough is like what I say. Yeah. But this is EQ and this continuous improvement, those are the other components that I I thought. You know, because I always have the doubt. You know, you, your point about confident doubt, sure. I've always have had doubt. So I hold myself to really high standards and I have the productive paranoia that uh, Jim Collins talks about in Great by Choice, right? That, yeah. that whole productive paranoia, if I don't do better, if I don't get better, I, I can't stop learning. That, that sort of is part of who I am. And so I turn that into trying to do the work and be a hardworking executive as well as somebody that, that has the knowledge, so to speak.
1: Yeah. So the productive paranoia, that's, as I have said in my life, and I'll share with you that one of my greatest drives in my life is that I wouldn't live up to the potential that God has put in me and expected of me. Here's some talent, go do it. And I've pushed myself and pushed myself. It's sometimes too hard, but there was always this fear that I wasn't going to live up to the potential that was expected of me. And that's why I get to do what I do today because this is my mission. So, but I want to I want to go back a little bit, and I want to get I want to get into the new job too because you took over this new job. I mean, and you know you were retired, right? You're done with this stuff, right? And uh, you, you've had these failures, you've had these successes. You talk about that, but then all of a sudden you decide to to start this new thing. I mean, what's what's going on, Tony? You bored?
2: Well, uh, you're right, Gary. I was doing some advisory work. I, I was still hanging around the rim, as they say, in publishing, doing advisory work. I ran a digital consortium, uh, McClatchy, Gannett, Hearst, and Tribune. Uh, I put that together before I left Tribune. I continued to run that. And and so I was involved and stayed involved. And then I was doing my thought leadership and beginning my next career, speaking, writing. And I was fine. And the folks that took McClatchy out of bankruptcy is a company called Chatham Asset Management and I knew these folks I had been working with them and they said you want to be on the board and I said fine and then they said would you like to be the CEO and McClatchy checked a few boxes for me number one uh, iconic it's an iconic publishing company and I went from one I wasn't going to go to just any company right so they checked that box number two they invest in local reporting and mm. and content. And unlike many in the industry that began taking resources out of that, McClatchy doubled down. They stayed in. They, that's our differentiator. So they hadn't done that. And then third, I wanted to join an organization that was willing to really dramatically change the business model, not just talk about it, but they wanted that. And so those things aligned for me. And frankly, the pandemic and remote work, since I'm in Boca and Sacramento is where McClatchy is headquartered, the, you know I call breakthrough moments when circumstances, opportunity, and preparedness collide, right? Yeah. And so for me, this, this was ideal. And it was also with a company of really highly talented and collegial, right? Professional, collegial people that I had known over the years and i said hey this this is perfect for me because i get my chance to be the top person and be able to make meaningful change so that our mission which has never been more important can continue providing that local independent objective reporting and in the era of what we've got in polarized news outlets in many cases i don't know
1: what you, i don't know what you're talking about tony yeah i know you don't
2: gary none of us do <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's more important than ever that publishing sur- not only survive, but thrive in the digital world. So, you know, it's a long winded answer, but there's no it's not simple. But it all those factors, you know, got you know, I make decisions through my head, my heart and my gut. If it goes through all three, I'm all in. And this one with the mission in my heart. I could see the future and understand, and my gut just felt good. This was a good opportunity to extend the mission, create a business model that's sustainable, and
1: uh, I'm having a ball.
2: My colleagues are terrific. We're doing a lot of interesting things, and I haven't looked back.
1: That's that's really great. So there's nothing like being able to uh, continue to add value. It's something you love to do. I mean, it's just it's just it's everything. It just means everything. So that's awesome. So let's, let's wrap up with the final question. I always like to ask Tony. That's a tough question. If you could write yourself a letter to Tony 30 years ago, what would you tell yourself? What would you suggest you do as a younger man on this journey of life?
2: Well, I've touched on some of this, I I think throughout, but I've got a short list here of things that I've, would say boy I wish I would have known these things earlier don't we all yes first to imagine the possibilities right instead of all your life people want to put you in a box they want to label you they want to control you they want you to be this way and I I I would As I was when I was younger and and that was impacting me, I wish I would have known. Just imagine the possibilities if you aim high and you do Mm -hmm. what you think is right. Embrace your entire self, Gary, meaning know your weaknesses, know your tendencies and embrace it, own it. You're not going to change and then spend the rest of your life. Compensating for that and building buffers and other mental techniques to help address those. But embrace who you are. Don't yeah. fake it. You are who you are. Trust your instincts. I kind of hit that already. You know. Yeah. If your head and your heart are there and your guts saying go with it, man, go. You know. Don't overanalyze. Get to work. I, I love this notion. I just have stumbled on this. Adapt, evolve, reinvent. Whether you're a business, a person, or a professional, adapt, evolve, reinvent. Stay current. Stay relevant. I use Prince and I use David Bowie as two examples. Decades to be relevant in an industry that changes every two years. And I, I use them because there aren't a lot of people that could say that. And and how do they do it? Well, they stay current. They they were Visionaries. They had smart people around them, and they evolved their careers and reinvented and mem- multiple times. So mm-hmm. I used them. And then the last thing was, I I wish I could have like been in the moment all and thought about being present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I and I call that when you're spiritually, you're mentally, and you're physically aligned. You're humming on all cylinders. You're aware of your serpents and just being present. Because when I now look back and what I fretted over and what I spent so much time and anguish over was really just on the margin stuff or stuff that shouldn't have mattered. And as a leader, when I got to a point where I could influence culture, one of the things that I try to do is focus on what really matters. Don't nitpick people. Don't just focus. Be present. You know, encourage and, you know, as I learn and then, hey, by the way, degrees of right versus right and wrong. Right. Yeah. How yeah. many times have I argued over degrees of right when I could have just moved it with one of the solutions instead it wouldn't of when I was in this. Yeah. I'm right, you're wrong. Right. So uh, none of those, by the way, as you could tell, are anything more than mindset. Right. I didn't talk about skills. All of those things are things you can learn and things that are part of who you are. And so I think that's the difference between becoming a good leader and a great leader is more how you think through and how you analyze things and how you manage yourself. To me, those are the more important lessons I've learned in my career, not whether I was good at creating EBITDA or revenue, or it was more, how did I create an environment where people do great work? And these are things I've learned the hard way, frankly.
1: Well, and, and we all learn them the hard way. We all learn them through a combination of experience and education and advice and mentoring and coaching and training and all that stuff. Right. And I, I love the last one being present. It's it's something that we work on very hard in our programs and, and uh, being mindful, being present. It's funny because uh, Deepak Chopra, when I've talked to him about some of this stuff and he says mindfulness Is the wrong word. Really, what we need is mind emptiness. You know, it's empty your mind because we we have so much going on in our head. And that I'm a certified meditation instructor and I work with people to meditate to calm the the mind and to be present. Because, you know, we talked earlier about being in the weeds, we talked about having that strategic vision. But one of the things that we talked around is being present enough in the moment and knowing enough and aware about what's going on around you that you can appreciate the people that are around you, the work that they do and the strength that they bring to the table. And you you talked all around that. I mean, you, the message of people listen to this podcast, they will hear that message in there all the time is you've got to be thinking at the 50,000 foot level and thinking of the future and all that. But be present while you're doing that. Otherwise, as I say to parents, you'll miss the hugs. Well,
2: and Gary, I just got to pile on that because I started with my parents and I want to end there. Everybody in your company is important. And the majority of the people, the vast majority, my parents used to say this, come to work wanting to do a good job. They come to work to earn enough to pay their bills and take care of their family. And when you forget that and you don't treat them with that respect and don't try to help them succeed, it is a massive failure of leadership. And I learned that at the kitchen table at the Hunter household, not any school. I didn't learn that at at my MBA. I I learned that early in life from two factory workers who were brilliant, wise, and really taught me what was important. So no matter where I, I go, I remember that those people are as important to the way the company runs as anyone else. So that's why I started with my parents. And thank you for teeing up so I could end with them. And that's, frankly, in a nutshell, that's what leadership's about. It's about getting the best out of everybody and helping everybody, rise everybody up. That's our job, is to lift everyone up and let everybody succeed. So thank you for teeing that up, because now I I, I get to remember my parents and, and end on a note that, frankly, I wouldn't be where I am had I not been. Uh, given the opportunities that they basically provided me with.
1: Yeah. So often our our parents teach us many, many things that we don't realize until we're much older in life. And just an aside, I I got to talk to my mom last, uh, a few weeks ago, her birthday is on November 11th, which is veterans day. And her five sons and her grandson and her husband who passed away a year ago, served this country for 108 years. And, and she was born on veterans day. So you know, I get to talk to my parents about that stuff, too. She's an that amazing is, woman.
2: that is awesome. And I got my outspokenness from my mother and I realized now my mom had great leadership capabilities. I didn't get it then, but and current and relevant. Uh, yes. Oh, those are things I she never used those words. Hey, Gary, I think this is on the eve of Thanksgiving. You know, as we talk, that's that's terrific. It warms my heart. Good for your family. Thank you you and your family, because I think it's it's a good reminder of the people that are doing that kind of work for all of us and serving our country. So that brings yeah. a big smile to my face.
1: Thanks. Well, Tony, I think we're going to wrap it up right there. I really appreciate you taking the time from your busy schedule. And I just want to thank Tony Hunter, chairman and chief executive officer of McClatchy for taking the time this afternoon to, to speak to our, our listeners And just do another stellar podcast with us. Thanks, Tony.
2: Thank you, Gary.
1: I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well.
0: Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com, S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S.com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com.